first Lord's Day of every month. We consider a new psalm and we, we sing that psalm throughout the month. And this month we're looking at Psalm 4. That will be the text for the sermon this morning. Psalm 4. Let's turn our minds and our hearts to the reading of God's holy inspired word. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. If you ever leave me in my distress, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You will put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you, O Lord, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Last month in Psalm 3, we saw how King David was forced to flee for his life from Absalom, his son. And we saw how David responded to such affliction, much like how we saw the early church responded to uh, the first signs of persecution last week. David prayed. David arose in the morning and prayed, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. And in our text this morning in Psalm 4, there there are many parallels to Psalm 3. However, the notable difference is that Psalm 4 is an evening prayer. Psalm 3 was was that morning prayer, and and Psalm 4 is an evening prayer. David says, David ends the psalm saying, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And this fits in the wider context of the book of Psalms. In Psalm 1, you have that prayer of the blessed man, and he talks about how he meditates on God's word day and night. And so in Psalm 3, you have that, that, that morning prayer, that, that meditation of God at, at day, and in Psalm 4, you have that meditation of God in the night with this, with this evening prayer. Now, we know from the title of Psalm 3 that it's very much tied to that historic context of David fleeing from Absalom. But we're not given that historical context in Psalm 4. The title of the psalm simply states, To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. However, there, like I said previously, there are many parallels between the content of Psalm 3 and the content of Psalm 4. And... Because of those parallels, an argument can be made that these are written roughly around the same time, and I'm going to operate with that assumption throughout this sermon. Psalm 4 is the prayer of a man struggling with assurance of his faith. It's a prayer of David as he struggles with the sins of his past, with this current affliction that he's going through, and, and with the love of God. 
We know something of that struggle with assurance back when we looked at Psalm 3. In Psalm 3, David is grieved by what the people of Israel, the visible church, was saying about him. The people of Israel, members of the visible church, were saying there's no help for him from God. They looked at how the kingdom had been ripped from David, and they said there's no help for this man from God. He's finally getting what he deserves. David ultimately realized in Psalm 3, as he concludes his morning prayer, that salvation belongs to the Lord. There is help for me in God because salvation belongs to the Lord. But David, once again, in Psalm 4, seems to be wrestling with this point. And that's not surprising because it's often in the evening that we find ourselves wrestling with our sins. The evening when the world has shut down for the night, when all is quiet and still, when we're all alone, and it's just us and our thoughts, we start going back in our mind over the events of the day, and we think about our sins, the ways we've sinned in that day. We start thinking about the ways we've sinned throughout our entire life, and, and we start struggling you start wondering, is salvation possible for me? Is there salvation in the Lord? As David struggles with assurance, he prays to the Lord. And as he prays in Psalm 4, David realizes that true joy, true assurance is found in God and in his character. It's not found in who David is. It's found in who his God is. They realize that assurance is not found in material possessions. Assurance is not found in, in our good works. Assurance comes from knowing that God is the God of our righteousness. That God has chosen for himself those who are godly. And that God makes the light of his countenance shine upon his people. And these are our three great truths about God that we should think about as we close our day with prayer. And so I want us to consider Psalm 4 under the theme, Ending Your Day with God. And we'll consider these three great truths about God. The first comfort we note from Psalm 4, is that true evening rest comes from the God of our righteousness. David says in verse 1, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. With those words, David casts aside all hope in himself. He acknowledges when he calls upon the God of my righteousness to have mercy on me that there is no hope for him otherwise. To confess that God is the God of your righteousness is confess that you have no righteousness in and of yourself. This is a prayer of humility. It's the prayer of a man who has nowhere else to turn. Is a prayer of a man broken by his countless faults and failings. 
David cast himself upon the mercy of God because he can go nowhere else. And when David does this, when David casts himself upon the mercy of God, he is saying that he is not without guilt in this situation. He is saying that he has no goodness to bring to the table and that the basis for God hearing and answering his prayer is God's mercy and God's mercy alone. And this is a necessary reminder for us. The only basis for God to hear and answer our prayers is his mercy. God does not hear our prayers because of how beautiful they might sound or how long they are. God does not hear our prayers because of some goodness in us that makes our prayers acceptable to God. God does not even hear our prayers because of the intensity of our suffering we are going through. God hears our prayers because of his character, because he is a God of mercy. God demonstrates that mercy to us in being our God of righteousness. When David calls God that, he's looking forward to the Messiah. He's saying, my righteousness, I'm not righteous, but my righteousness is found in God and God alone. And in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 through 6, this beautiful statement is made about the Messiah. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is the name by which he will be called. That name is the Lord, our righteousness. Jesus Christ is that branch of David. He is that son of David who is our righteousness. And this is why we can pray. And this is why I had us read Hebrews 4 earlier. We can pray with boldness to God because Jesus Christ is our righteousness. In the evening, when we're tempted to despair over our sins, let's remember this, that the Lord is our righteousness and we have a high priest in heaven who died for us so that we can approach, that we can come before the throne of grace, so that we can pray to God with boldness. There are times, there will be evenings in your life where it will seem that God is not the God of your righteousness. There will be dark nights where it will seem that God is not merciful. But in those nights, you must remember the goodness of God in times past. You must remember that Jesus Christ came as a declaration of the love of God. He took on human flesh and suffered and died so that he could be the Lord, your righteousness. The temptation can be to, to enter into that downward spiral of despair. Before the fans of uh, Anne of Green Gables, as Rachel Lind 
told Anne, to despair is to turn your, your back on God. Rather than despair, we should run to God and his marvelous works in the past. We need to remember that, that chief expression of the love of God in Christ being forsaken, utterly forsaken for our sake, so that we would never be forsaken by him. So let us remember in the evening that the Lord, the Lord alone is our righteousness. And second, true evening rest comes from God's peculiar favor. God's peculiar favor is God's particular love for us. It means that God has chosen us and chosen us unconditionally. His favor is not based upon our actions or who we are. His favor is based upon his mercy and love. Now, David cries out in verse 2 of Psalm 4, How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? See, the, the sons of men tried to turn David's glory into shame. You may recall that in Psalm 3, verse 3, David declared, But you, O Lord, are a shield to me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. He noted that when David declares that the Lord is his glory, he is saying that his glory is not found in his kingship or his kingdom. His glory isn't found in his many palaces or his wealth. His glory wasn't found in in his impressive armies or in the many battles he had won. David is saying that his glory is the Lord. That that's his chief exaltation. It is the Lord and what the Lord has done for him. The Lord was David's glory. And here in Psalm 4, the ungodly men are again trying to take that glory away. They are trying to take away the reality that God was David's chief desire and delight. Perhaps David is speaking again of the cruel taunt that these wicked men made in Psalm 3 when they said there is no help for him in God. Perhaps David is speaking of how Shimei cursed him and threw rocks at him and said in 2 Samuel 16, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Notice what Shimei is saying there. Shimei is saying, he's telling David that the God whom he loves, whom David loves, is now judging and cursing him. Remember, David was the author of Psalm 23. The Lord told David that this was a man after my own heart. David loved the Lord. David was again and again persecuted by Saul. But he would not dare touch the Lord's anointed. David loved Jonathan, Saul's son. And when Jonathan died, David cared for Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. David was far from a bloodthirsty man. 
David loved the Lord. And now imagine yourself in in time of affliction. Imagine how you have loved the Lord. And the Lord has been your delight and hope. You don't have a clear understanding of, of why the Lord has sent this particular affliction or time of suffering upon you. Maybe you think it has something to do with a sin of your past, or, or maybe the Lord is testing your faith. But now imagine somebody in the church approaching you and declaring to you that God is cursing you in your suffering. There's no love of God for you, that there is no help for you in God, that God hates you and that there's no hope in this. You feel the the weight of those cruel words. You feel the weight of David's words in Psalm 4. Because notice David's response. David's response isn't to seek vengeance against these men. David's response is to pray. And it's to remember God's love for him. David asks, he asks them, how long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? David had learned that lesson of Psalm 3. He had learned that salvation belongs unto the Lord. He had learned that man was not the arbiter of salvation. Man is not in the place to say who God loves and who God hates. David recognized the cruel taunts of these wicked men as worthlessness. And that word for for worthlessness is another word for vanity or emptiness. These words were empty. They had no substance to them. These men tried to, to turn David's glory into shame. But that was impossible. These words were empty, vain, useless words. They were wasting their breath. Because David knew. David knew the truth of verse 3. He knew that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. These wicked men were trying to break their relationship with David. They're severing their own relationship with David and they're trying to sever God's relationship with David. David remembers that God is the one who sought relationship with him. David remembers that that God has chosen him and nothing can change that. And so when the devil comes to us and, and accuses us that we have no right to be the Lord's because of our sin, we must throw God's, work back, God's word back in the devil's face. The devil has no right and no authority to say who God will love and who God will not love. Martin Luther said it this way, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there shall I be also. 
We can go into deep and dark despair sometimes when we see our sins and are reminded of the profound depravity of our sins. But as believers, when that happens, we need to remember that God did not choose us because of any goodness in ourselves. God chose us because he loved us. God chose us despite our sins. Just think, God chose to save you knowing that you were a sinner, knowing that you would sin after he had saved you, knowing that you would sin after he had even converted you. God knew everything you would do prior to him saving you. And he still saved you. That is amazing, unconditional love. And that's why Paul says in Romans 5 that Christ died for the ungodly. Paul says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That is the love of God for his people. That he would die for us while we were still sinners. This is a love that should cause us to tremble. If you look at verse 4 of of Psalm 4, it says, Be angry and do not sin. It's translated that way because that is how the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, translates it. And Paul makes use of the Septuagint in Ephesians 4, verse 26. But the Hebrew actually has here the ideal of trembling, of, of being fearful. And thus, it would be more accurate to translate this as tremble and do not sin. In other words, what David is saying is, is this love of God, this this particular love of God, this love of God which is demonstrated in the fact that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. This is so great and profound that it should cause us to tremble. This love is so awesome and majestic. We should be fearful. should stand in awe at this majestic love. Moses told Israel in Deuteronomy 7 that the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Lord did not choose Israel, and he does not choose you because of any goodness or, or, or greatness in yourself. The Lord chose you because he loved you. The Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. You should be moved to the deepest depths of our being with awe at what God has done. And it's because this love is so great 
that we need this warning not to sin with this love. Because this love is, is unconditional. There could be that temptation to, to view this love lightly. Say, well, I'm saved anyway. The Lord chose to save me in spite of my sins. Oh, why can't I enjoy my sins and enjoy, enjoy salvation at the same time? David tells us that's a horrible response to the love of God. We should tremble at this love. And instead of, of continuing in sin with this love, we should be motivated to repentance and faith. This is why David says in verses 4 and 5, Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. That word be still actually means to lament. It has that idea of quiet mourning. Perhaps you've experienced times when you're so broken or sorrowful that no sounds come out of your mouth, but tears just run down your face. And that's what this verb seems to describe. So what's David saying here is that as we meditate upon the love of God, as we speak God's word to our hearts, so that's what meditation is, it's speaking God's word to ourselves, we see the love of God and we see how great that love is. And our response is to be still. It's to lament and to see the the greatness of our sins and and it's to wonder how could we possibly sin against the God who has loved us this much so we need to respond with repentance and faith to this love David says in, in Psalm 51 that the sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. The Lord does not despise a broken heart, a heart broken over sin, a heart that's contrite. But we have that phrase, the sacrifices of righteousness, in in verse 5. It says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Well, what are those sacrifices of righteousness? This is a phrase that appears only a couple times in the Old Testament, but one of those times is once again in Psalm 51. David in Psalm 51 indicates that these sacrifices are of righteousness, are are a belief that there is a covering for our sin. The sacrifices of righteousness are... The belief that Jesus Christ has borne the penalty for our sin. David says in verse 19 of Psalm 51, Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. When David says that, when he says that, that talks about these, these whole burnt offerings and, and bulls being burnt on the offer, on the altar, David is looking forward to what those sacrifices typified. He's looking forward to Jesus Christ and saying, yes, there is an offering for my sins. There is satisfaction for my sins. 
Those sacrifices pointed to the day when God the Father would crush His only begotten Son on the cross so that you might be saved. And so for us to offer the sacrifices of righteousness is for us to trust in the Lord. It's to trust that, that the Lord is our righteousness. It's to trust that there is atonement for our sins. So in the evening, when we can be afraid, when our sins lie before us and the devil seeks to discourage us, let us meditate in our hearts of the peculiar favor of the Lord. Let us know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. Finally, true rest comes from the light of God's countenance. Verses six and seven, David says that there are many people that says that there are many people asking a very important question. They are asking, "Who will show us any good?" Now, David does not say who is asking this question, but it likely was those who were with David, his family members, his mighty men, his servants. These people are asking, "Who's going to show us any good?" Who's going to show us good in this time of suffering? And isn't that a common question we can ask ourselves in times of affliction? We ask ourselves, who will be good to us? Who will be nice to us? It's often said that you find out who your true friends are when you're going through suffering. There can be a danger with those sorts of questions, because people will always fail us. Obviously, we as a church need to strive to love one another, but there will be times when we do not love one another as we ought. If we ask that question, who will show us any good and get back the answer, well, nobody is being kind or nice to us. We can get heavily discouraged. We can think that we are all alone in this world, and we can think that because we may have made other people our Savior, we have put our trust in them. But instead of thinking that, we need to pray. We need to pray with David that the Lord would lift up the light of his countenance upon us. David in affliction does not look to man. He does not put his trust in man, but he looks to the Lord. David places his trust in God and in his goodness. Now, you may recognize that phrase as part of the ironic blessing in number six. David is praying the ironic blessing here. He is praying that God would shine his face upon them. And there have been many beautiful statements so far in this song, but perhaps this is the most beautiful statement. Because for God to lift up the light of his countenance upon us is for God to have relationship with us. Once again, put yourself in the context of David. David's running from his son. David's own family and and many of his friends have turned their backs on him. They not only have abandoned him, but they're telling him there is no hope for you in God. They're telling David his case is hopeless. He is resigned to face the judgment of God for the rest of his days because of his sins. 
David feels undoubtedly all alone. But for God to lift up the light of his countenance upon David is for God to establish relationship with David. Now, this analogy fails to get at the, the supreme awesomeness of God's love, but you can imagine somebody who has, who has gravely sinned against another person. The guilty comes before the innocent seeking forgiveness. There's much awkwardness and shame. There's fear as the reconciliation meeting approaches. He's not sure how the innocent is going to respond to this request for forgiveness. There's the avoidance of eye contact. Then the innocent person, the person sinned against, looks upon the person who sinned against him. And his eyes are filled with with grace and mercy. And he says, you are forgiven. That's a a wonderful thing. And, And that's what it means for God to lift up the light of his countenance upon us. It is for him who alone is holy. It is for him who has purer eyes than to look upon evil. It is for him who is the holy, holy, holy God. It is for him to look upon us and say, your sins are forgiven. It's for him to say, I love you. And I want relationship with you. This is true joy. This is true gladness. Have you known the gladness of of God's goodness shining upon you? Have you known the joy of salvation? If you have, you know that it is far better than any joy that food or drink can provide. You know with David that the Lord has put gladness in your heart more than in the season that grain and wine are increased. This is true joy. If you want true joy, seek the joy that comes from having the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you. Don't let the world deceive you. There's no greater joy than this. The joy of human friendship, the joy of of food and drink, the joy of marriage, the joy of of whatever pales in comparison to the joy that is known knowing that the Lord is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is a certain joy. You don't have to wonder if this joy will last. You don't have to wonder if the joy, this joy, like so many uh, joys in this world, are, are fleeting and temporary. You don't have to wonder if, if you will retain this joy. Because, as David says in, in verse 7, you have put gladness You have put gladness in my heart. This is certain. When you turn to Christ in repentance of your sins, 
when you recognize that you need mercy, when you need the Lord to be your God of righteousness, when you believe in Jesus Christ and recognize God's love for you, you will have that gladness that David speaks of. And you will, as David says in verse 8, you will be able to lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The peace that comes from the love of God is a peace that surpasses all other pieces. If you struggle to sleep at night, Because of a guilty conscience. Because of the sins of your past. Don't take melatonin. Instead, repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Know with certainty. That God has purchased redemption for you. And he offers you forgiveness in him. He offers you this peace that surpasses all understanding. He offers you this gladness that surpasses the gladness of, of food and drink. So, in conclusion, where can you find assurance you can find assurance in the character of God. When we know that God is our righteousness, we know that our salvation is perfect and complete in Him. When we know that God has chosen us in His peculiar favor, we know that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from that love. And when we know the light of God's countenance shines upon us, we can know that nothing breaks that fellowship. Is this knowledge that enables us to sleep and to rest at night? Is this knowledge with which we can say with David, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The Lord alone makes us dwell in safety. And so let us end our days in prayer to this God. Let us pray. Father and our God, we come before you and Lord, we, we are in awe of your love for us, that you would love sinners such as we are, and that you would establish relationship with us, that you would lift up the light of your countenance upon us and give us peace. What a blessing that is for us. Lord, we are sinful people. We have many sins that cling to us. Not one of us is righteous. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins and that we would know this true joy, that we would know the gladness of having our sins forgiven. And that that gladness would cause us to have peace in you.
that we would rest and rest assured that you are our Savior and nothing can separate us from you. Lord, bless us, we pray in Christ's name.